Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got a Harp. This is We've Got Mail. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. You know, given the broad topics that one can find on podcasts these days, I imagine there is a harp podcast. Probably called Harpin' On! (laughs) It's a double play, because it's like Harp Anonymous, but also Harpin' On... The, yeah. top to, the topic of harps. But also playing the harp. To yeah. harp. To, to oh. harp. Play, I think you just... I don't think harp is a verb necessarily. It I, is you know, now. I, don't, I don't know very many harpists. Yeah. If you're a harpist, why don't you write in? My Please. name is Whitney Seibold. I am, I'm a film critic as well. I, uh, I, you, for the purpose of this particular podcast, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. Or Harpmeister McCool. Sure. Uh, if you're a harpist, write in and let us know harp terminology. Please. Because we want to be educated and know how more often, about this world of ours. How often do these opportunities arise? So thank you. And if you know a harpist, please. Mm. Uh, but this is not our time to uh, ramble on about harps. This to is, harp on. The, oh my god. Uh, this is your chance to interrupt William's terrible puns and write in a letter. Yeah. Uh, and we will read it and we will respond to it. You can uh, send us letters criticizing what we've said. You can ask us questions. You can uh, expound on something we have t- covered in a previous topic, if you wish. Mm-hmm. You can find uh, out more about our cor- taste and things. You can do whatever you correct want, Correct really. stuff that we've said, yeah. because that happens often. We, happens we, we often say wrong stuff like. a lot, and well, we, we like being cor- uh, corrected. We do like being corrected. That's how we grow. But anyway, mm-hmm. you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box if you prefer to write in uh, longhand or if you prefer to print something out, send it in a letter the mm-hmm. old-fashioned way, like the Riddler. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send it to the Batman. Yes. Uh, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, and uh, we don't have time to get to every single letter that we receive, so we don't like to dilly-dally too much at the front unless we're going to make some harp <laughs> jokes. Uh, so... Uh, so here's our first letter. I can't think of another harp joke. Let's do it. All right. Here's a letter from Cinema. Let's get plucking. I'm going to throw... There's a rubber poo on your desk. I'm going to yeah. throw it at you. Ah. William has a novelty rubber poo, and no- yeah. rubber poos have gone way down in quality. Oh, yeah. This is not they convincing are. at all. I don't. It, yeah. it, we have it for, for visitors. They're okay. be like, oh, my God. And to date, no one's ever... Everyone's always been, oh, fake poo, huh? Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen fake poo in a while. Right. This letter comes from Cinema Stud. Hello, Ooh. Cinema Stud. Hi, I Cinema greet- Stud. Hello from Stratford, Ontario, Canada. Ooh. Oh, good, Fancy. Good day. Uh, as you might have known, the new release of Turning Red is set in the beautiful city of Toronto, which is not far from here. Mm. Disney decided to have it skip theaters, and it was put on Disney Plus for streaming. While I understand it was uh, for safety due to the various COVID variants, I would uh, it would have been a cool experience seeing Toronto through the eyes of Pixar on the biggest screen possible. What films, if there are any, would you like to have seen... Uh, to have had the theater experience that you may have missed out on. Ah. I hope to see you both at the Toronto International Film Festival very soon, signed Cinema Star. Oh, I haven't been to Toronto uh, in a long time. That The Toronto International Film Festival, I haven't been to every film festival, obviously. I've never been to Cannes, for example, mm. but I've been to some of the bigger ones. Toronto's my favorite. It's so well uh, organized. Great movies play there. Everything's mm. like really, you know... Um, at Sundance, you might have to like drive in a blizzard and like through terrifying streets for a while to get to something. Everything's pretty, or it, everything's just so nicely handled just there. Every, everything's so overrun. I've seen so many 12, of my favorite movies there. It's really great. T-shirt stands, twelve dollar twelve dollar parking. Liam Neeson. Uh, <laughs> um, I've, n- I've never been to TIFF or yeah. or Cannes or uh, uh, Sundance or any of the big or South by Southwest. I haven't been to any of the big film festivals. It's uh, a big uh, sort of. Oh. 
missing chunk out of my film experience. Maybe the opportunity will arise now that you've got your new gig. That's true. It's That'd entirely possible. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't afford to go on my own, and none of the outlets I've ever written for. I was always a very low person mm-hmm. in, 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 ball, yeah. in the chain of command. So yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I was never asked to go. They would never pay my way. It's difficult. Uh, it's difficult, the, but it is great I mean, if you can. It's a yeah, lot. Of, the, it's a lot of fun. The last time I think. I got to go to Comic-Con once, oh, the yeah. San Diego Comic Book Convention, I uh, when I was still under the auspices of Nerdist. Mm. Like way, or no, it wasn't even Nerdist, it was Geekscape. I remember, yeah. Way, way back in the day. Uh, that was the last time. Yeah. And, and that was like 2009 or something. I, I, that was, the, the Comic-Con stopped being fun after a while, especially if you're covering it. Like, if you're just a fan, it's mm. it's always been great. Well, especially if you can just sort of wander over to where the comic books are. Yeah. Like, that's the exciting part. As a me. fan experience, Comic-Con has always been, it's, it's maybe a bit too crowded for my taste, mm. but it's it's always been a wonderful experience. For, for, covering it professionally, it got so dense that it just stopped being fun after a while. Yeah. You just had to work so much. You had to work like... 20 hour days like the entire well, time and not, you go and not into, having fun yeah. you're not having a good time you, you you're, go you're, into a panel you run out sit in the hallway with your laptop try to catch on write, write the last hook thing. into like their really yeah. spotty Wi-Fi and try to write yeah. something immediately because you have yeah. to scoop all the other outlets yeah. who are doing you're, the you're same writing thing. like 30 articles a day and they all get dropped into a bucket and it's mm. never fun but anyway that, that's besides the point um what movies do we wish we mm-hmm. could have seen on the big screen? Uh, I, there's no shortage of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen quite a few great films on the big screen, but there's always something when you mm-hmm. watch it at home, you're like, oh, this would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's one that uh, is lost that I wish I could have seen. What's that? And that's Eric von Stroheim's Nine Hour Cut of Greed. Oh, yeah. Uh, the only surviving, like the longest surviving cut of Eric von Stroheim's Greed, which is 1922, I think. Okay. Um mid twenties uh, is only about four hours and they were, were able to construct it with uh, the fragments they have mm. and some production stills that they had. So they kind of cr- recreated a little bit of the pacing of certain scenes, just using production stills and they would sort yeah. of cut to a still and the camera would pan across the still and they have the same intertitles cause they still have the script, mm. but that's less than half of the, the living movie. Right. And I wish I could have seen the entire movie. The story goes that, uh, the original cut was nine hours in length. Eric von Stroheim, the director, uh, sat in the middle of the balcony in the front row and did not move the entire nine hours, <laughs> kind of to dare the audience oh my God. to stay there with him. I like, can I, do it. I can do Yeah, look at me. I made this thing. I can sit through nine hours. You, are you getting up? <laughs> sit down. <laughs> And if you know Eric von Stroheim, you know, he, oh, like, yeah. he, he looks like... Humorless-looking you know, man. Yeah, he, like, he, he looks like a drill instructor. He, he, like he looks like the dean of students in, like, a, mm-hmm. in like a frat comedy. Right. Like the one who, who was like, mm-hmm. I sentence you to be executed by firing squad. All I did was pass a note in class, and it's the last note you'll ever pass. <laughs> yeah, like that actually, kind of guy. He actually wore a monocle. Like, he yeah. looked really, really threatening. Uh, so, yeah, I, I wish I could have seen Eric von Stroheim's Green in nice. the theater on its premiere, like, before uh, before large chunks of it were lost. I've never seen, I don't think, no, I've never seen Dario Argento's Suspiria on the big on screen. The big screen. And oh, that's, no, a, okay. that's a grand, glorious, colorful uh, uh, just larger than life experience. It is not just a horror movie; it's practically an opera, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that would have been amazing. I think that I hope I get that opportunity one of these days. Um, there was, uh, there was a film edge I had always wanted to see on the big screen, and it never, never aired. Uh, but uh, I finally got to like a year before the pandemic was uh, Barry Lyndon. Ooh. Uh, great Stanley Kubrick movie. Not one of the more popular Stanley Kubrick movies and doesn't screen as often. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barry Lyndon is uh, based on a classic novel that nobody reads. Um, 
about a man who uh, basically just chances his way into one incredible scenario after another. There's and this is like in the uh, what was it like the 1600s something like that, early 1800s mm. maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, there's duels and marriages of convenience that turn into Shakespearean uh, uh, power struggles and. It's incredibly funny, mm. and it's incredibly suspenseful, yeah. and it's gorgeously photographed. He used like, like oh, the, lenses, the na- the natural the, candlelight, is, natural is like candlelight, the big, the big deal. In that and he movie. got like these incredibly like fancy mm. like le- like lenses from NASA that were mm. so sensitive that they could pick up just candlelight, and actually imprint that on. I think it was seventy millimeter film, but like, mm. uh, but film stock, which normally could never work with that little light and it's just this incredible glowing film and oh that was glorious um trying to think, i feel like there's a couple of things there some of relatively my f- recently yeah. that maybe i missed out on that i some just like oh, fa- i regret uh, some of my favorite movies i've never seen on a big screen i've only sure. seen on home video i've never seen hellraiser on a big screen oh that'd be and cool. i really yeah. love I hellraiser and, and hellraiser 2 those first two movies are just great yeah um i wish i could have seen something like uh uh, brain donors, one of our favorite comedies. Uh, oh, when, yeah. when it initially played for like the, the, the two and a half hours, it was open. Yeah, uh, it closed fast that movie. Oh, um, oh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I caught. I kind of put that oh, one yeah. like long after it had left oh, theaters. Okay. I missed it, and I, I wasn't part. It, I didn't see it in time to even do to even include it on our best movies of the year list at that time. It mm. would have been my number one. Yeah. So yeah. I really, and that's a gloriously composed romance, very mm. sweeping, and that would have been amazing. Yeah. I'll bet. Um, it's for like other I'm trying to think of like historical mm. film events. The uh, yeah. there are all these notorious stories about uh, certain films. Like Luis Buñuel likes to brag about this sort of thing mm. uh, about how his films were so outrageous ah, yes. that they caused a riot. Like yeah. people would storm out of the theater and break stuff. Yeah, I want to be there for that. Yeah, like just to see an audience completely lose their shit over a movie, positive yeah. or negative. Uh-huh. I guess I've seen like the positive version of that, where mm. uh, like I saw um, the latest Spider-Man film oh, yeah. in, a, in a theater the with the public, yeah. and yeah, like Sandman shows up and people are like standing up and shouting. It's like you guys, you, you didn't, didn't even like, like Spider-Man three. Spider-Man you, three was like has been lambasted up until like this moment, and like somehow literally every, this second. Everything you hated sh- that movie. Everything changed like when you saw a, a digital version of Thomas Hayden Church. Yeah. What is go? What universe am I in? I don't know, but it's uh, weird. Yeah. It's like everybody now. Everybody's talking about uh, Andrew Garfield doing another Spider-Man movie. It's like where you were hated you his movies. <laughs> and I'm telling you this, they're not good films. Maybe uh, someone, like someone else okay. Re- that second I, one's a mess. I, I hated them both, honestly. Uh, like I think, that, but like, regardless, I don't. I don't blame Garfield for them. I actually think the cast is good in those movies. Mm. I think maybe you get someone else to direct them, they could be fine. But that's true for anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's true for any movie. Why, why are we? Suddenly- but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the negative version of that, yeah. where people just like scream and outrage mm. most people when they see a bad movie they kind of like they either just cross their arms and bear it or they yeah. just leave i'll tell you one that i haven't i have seen in theaters mm. but i wish i could go back in time and see it in its first run because i only saw it in like a second run mm. like a, 10 years later i wish that i was able to convince my parents to go see the nightmare before christmas when i was whenever it came out i was like 10 oh, yeah, when like that thing came 90, out because i'd never then. seen a stop like motion late, late 92 that movie i'd then. never seen a stop motion animated feature film to that point and i think it really would have been for a 10 year old in particular entirely entrancing oh, yeah. in a way that and i loved it i saw it on video it's one of my favorite movies still is and i eventually have seen it a couple mm-hmm. of times when they re-released it in 3d and that was very very nice but 
Yeah, no, I wish I could have seen that when I was 10. That would have been uh, the best. That would have been really cool. I, I saw that uh, I saw that with my dad in its initial mm. run. What my, about the... my, uh, my dad was very open-minded. He took me to see whatever crap I wanted. Sure. So I, I saw Young Einstein with my dad. Ooh, I, I nice. saw Spaced Invaders with my dad. I saw that. Uh, that that's a terrible Invaders. film. Oh, uh, everyone's so harsh on that movie. That yeah, funny. rightfully so. It's that terrible. Movie, it's, it's a good kind of terrible. <laughs> they don't think it's good. But, they know uh, it's a stupid film. In, in 1986, my uh-huh. dad took me to see the final, until <laughs> to date, final theatrical screening of Disney's Song of the South. Wow. Uh, so I saw that. Sucker on the big screen. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, they they and there was no context for it. It was just enjoy yeah. the Disney magic. That's yeah, that, all they there, had. There, there were there were protests, but they were really kept on the DL. Yeah, they like, were not really talked mm. about very much in the media, and they just released it unironically. Yeah, it's just, just like, hey, yeah, we're still proud of this, and this will be the last time we we're gonna pretend we can do that. Mm. Um. Yeah. Well, my dad took me to see Dick Tracy, and uh, oh, I, I remember uh, it was shortly after I turned twelve, and that's when you don't get. Uh, children's ticket prices anymore ah. and uh, my dad got like got a children's ticket price he didn't even think about it he's just used to buying a kid's ticket for me yeah and on the way I was like what are they gonna do card dad, you dad you you, you kind of broke a rule there he's like oh yeah I kind of Tracy did, huh? will get you yeah <laughs> So yeah, but bless my dad for always taking me to see the garbage movies uh, I wanted to see. Speaking of garbage, one movie uh, I really wish I could have seen in theaters because my parents also took me to some bullshit. Mm. My 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 dad sat through Fatherhood with Patrick Swayze. Oh no, <laughs> it was not a good day. Um, but uh, I wish I could have sat there and watched my parents watch the Garbage Pail Kids movie. <laughs> In a theater. Because that's one of the most unbelievable, like, you thought we would enjoy this? Like, it's almost intentionally repellent. What, there, there's what kind part of, of this movie did you movie? think, any kids even, what yeah. part did you think they would go, yay, I don't know. Hooray, I'm so glad when, when she picked her boogers on camera. If you don't know what we're talking about, just pause this right now, oh, go to YouTube, God. find the trailer, find a clip, you will see what I'm talking about. The whole movie is like that. It's gross. <laughs> it's really gross. And it was but, for kids. But it was the selling point. Kids yeah. like gross but, stuff. But there's, a, but there's a line between like fun gross and just actually repugnant. Oh. <laughs> I think you crossed that with the Garbage Bell Kids movie. So that's a different... That's that's me. That's my desire to go through gauntlets. Yeah. Uh, but uh, thank you for asking. And um, uh, it's a fun question for anybody. Uh, what do we got next? Okay. Here is a letter from Justin. Hello, Justin. Hi, Justin. Um, uh, Bibs, those are about to rock Meister McCool. I salute you. <laughs> <laughs> Saluted me. Salute you back. Thank you. Uh, this year, I got on antidepressants to break the cycle of seasonal effectiveness disorder. Okay. And had the wonderful side effect of also breaking my cycle of just rewatching my comfort TV shows over and over again. Okay. I started with some movies that you mentioned on various podcasts, The Long Goodbye mm. and Cold Turkey. Oh, nice. Uh, I, so I, haven't, I haven't seen Cold Turkey. That's the movie no. where Dick Van Dyke convinces an entire town of heavy smokers to quit smoking all at once for one month. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so, mostly forgotten. Fun, yeah. it's a fun, I remember it being funny. Yeah. I haven't watched it in a while. Uh, Amazon then started recommending some fantastic movies like The Comedy of Terrors, uh, The Cheap Detective, and the Bulldog Drummond series. Oh, wow. Actually, oh, I actually haven't seen are, the yeah, Bulldog Drummond fun. movies. Yeah. Um, now I'm uh, burning up short movies on Ovid and Mubi, getting into very specific categories like Hungarian animation from the 70s. Wow. So thank you for the that starting place and all the vocabulary to really get into the craft of it all. Uh, because I like you too, and I wanted to also uh, want you also to be happy. I am recommending the critically reclaimed Danny K movies on Amazon Prime. Oh, uh, cheers, Justin. That's a fun idea. I'll write that down. Yeah, um, yeah Danny K. Uh, 
like he, he's well known to lovers of classic cinema. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's not as bandied about as you know Bob Hope or, well, or we Gene just, Kelly. We were just talking about this. I think it was on Critically Acclaimed, and we talked about how. Um, there are some stars who were huge in their day, mm. but just a few decades later, new generations don't know them. Yeah. And maybe they've heard of them, maybe yeah. they've recognized them, but they haven't like seen all their movies. Yeah. And I think Danny Kaye is a great example of this. Danny Kaye was a huge movie star from oh, at golly, least yeah. the 40s and the 50s. Mm. And everyone knew who he was at the time. He was in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, the original version, which is better than the remake, but the remake's actually not bad. A very different entity. Um, and probably his best known film is The Court Jester. Mm. At least his best known solo well, film, because he was also White Christmas. His best known film was White Christmas. His best known film was White, I consider that a two-hander, but... Because it's the, him and Bing Crosby. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's I consider that more of a Bing movie mm. than a Danny Kaye movie, but regardless, yeah, that's his best known movie. His best known solo film today is The Court Jester, which is incredibly funny, uh, and has uh, some of the best wordplay you'll find mm. in the era. There's that's a whole the one with the, the Reuben on the Steuben as the pickle with the poison. Or, yeah. yeah, the whole thing is there's a goblet that's uh, going to be uh, poisoned, and in order to help him remember which goblet is going to be poisoned, they give him like a they give him like a, a, a rhyme, and it's uh, the pellet with the poisons and the vessel with the pestle. Mm. The flagon with the dragon holds the brew that is true, <laughs> and then after he finally gets that because that takes him a while, they flip it. <laughs> Now there's another whole new rhyme scheme to keep up with. Um, oh, that's funny. Um, Danny Kaye would be great. That'd be a fun yeah, uh, I, uh, revisit. Because only there's actually quite a few Danny Kaye films I haven't seen. So uh, that'd be exciting. I, I saw, uh, when I was in my 20s, I saw a film that he did called A Song is Born. Uh, which he made in the 40s. And uh, yeah, he plays sort of like a stuffy music instructor. Who's, okay. Who's uh, loosened up by the uh, love of uh, a young lady, played by Virginia Mayo. Oh, cool. And uh, that's that was a really sweet film. I really nice. like that one. Okay, that's awesome. That, that's a fun suggestion. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And thank you for telling us about your journey. You know, sometimes... You know, as, as critics, it's hard to like sort of gauge whether or not we're really having an impact here. And a lot of what we do is just sort of comment on what's in theaters now. But Whitney and I have always at least made an attempt to illuminate different sides of cinema as much as we can. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't know everything, but we've, we've done our travels and we want people to see that there are more films outside what they might consider their comfort zone that are great and totally entertaining to them and hopefully open more doors. So... It really warms my heart to know that you've actually had like a really, really positive experience with some of our recommendations and it's led you into some interesting avenues and that you're experiencing and enjoying more film. That just, that just really meant a lot to me today. Thank you. It's, um, our, our, our our needs are modest. We just want you to listen to us. (laughs) We just want to be listened to as critics. We want, we, we like, we we're putting out sort of the good word on some of these great movies that you might not have heard of. And if you actually bother to watch them even if you don't like them we, sure. we like that you have taken a recommendation it, it, it means a lot to us that you try and I don't know if I put it the same way uh, I don't know if I'd say we want you to listen to us mm. but we'd very much like it if uh, if and again not everyone not every critic is for everybody and they're going to be people yeah. who just don't jive with what we're, we do and that's fine um, but um, ideally what a critic is looking for is people who will consider their opinion and hopefully let that critic guide them to films they might otherwise have ignored or never heard of. Uh, Because you don't need us to tell you that Turning Red is out. You don't need us to tell you that Spider-Man is out. But it might be useful for us to like remind you that Cold Turkey is a film that exists because no one else is talking about it anymore, that kind of thing. Or Danny Kaye films that largely are going undiscussed. Mm. So thank you for that. And that means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, I'll take that into consideration. We might even do that this week. We'll see. Um, Here's a letter from Alex. 
Hello, Alex. Hi, Alex. Uh, greetings, gentlemen. I know from listening to the podcast that Bibbs in particular has an extensive physical media collection. Uh, That's right here. Yeah, we're recording at Bibbs Place, and yeah, this, he has gigantic shelf after shelf of, of a bunch of DVDs, multi-layered VHS, shelves. Blu-rays. Because uh, I couldn't what, find proper what, shelving. Uh, you were very good about sort of organizing your collection by genre, so there's yeah. not that weird thing where alphabetically you have two completely bonkers films next to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why? What I? Well, it's not so much genre as it is. Um, because uh, because not everything I do is a genre, but it's at very least by um, sort of type. So mm. I, I have my uh, DVDs uh, uh, set in terms of there's TV, there's animation, which includes animated TV. All right. Uh, there's horror, thriller, there's action, and sci-fi is usually one or the other, depending on the tone of the film. Okay. Uh, then we have sort of a weird grindhouse. This doesn't fit in any other category section. Uh, then there's drama, and then there's comedy, and then there's music slash musicals, and then there's this, another section off to the side, which is holiday films. And you also have a, a shelf for, like, screeners, like, year-end yeah, screeners that just, they mail to. Uh, yeah, that to kind of thing. Oh, and there's one shelf that's dedicated exclusively to the step-up films. Of course. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, you have a large extensive physical media collection. Oh, I, I too, Alex says, partake in that pleasure. Hmm. I have limited myself to the physical restriction of custom shelves I built myself, so I'm Ooh. hitting a point in collecting where I have to be more discerning. Understood. As such, I'm usually looking for things I've never seen or heard of, the strange, odd, and peculiar. I love finding things that, quote, shouldn't exist. <laughs> My wife has a copy of Paper Clips. That she order, uh, she was ordered to pull from the shelves and destroy wow. when she was an employee of Blockbuster Video back in 2006. Uh, I had an edition of Imposter that the shorter superior cut that was meant to be part of an anthology film. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, with the one with the, the Gary Sinise. The Gary Sinise movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for years, the documentary In Search of Doctor Seuss. So, uh, how, I think it's supposed to be soy, but everyone says soy. Yes, uh, was uh, tricky to find until uh, it was included as a special feature in a collection of shorts that was released concurrently with the Horton Hears a Who CG animated film. Nice. Uh, I have a not-for-distribution-or-sales screener of Ghost Stories, which has a fascinating backstory. Allegedly, ADV was granted license to produce and distribute the film in the U.S., but was not given a script or transcript for the dub or subtitles, and were granted complete creative freedom to improvise and ad-lib. Wow. The result is a rightly infamous, and of particular hilarity, is the alt-right Christian character oh constantly God. proclaiming that the other characters are doomed to burn in hell. Wow, that's weird. Okay, I never even heard of that. <laughs> I know movies are so expensive. Expensive that it's rare for them to be uh, shelved completely, but we hear stories of films being recut after test audiences or uh, react in a certain way. Sure. I'm sure between your location on the West Coast and your chosen professions that you are in no short supply of screeners, but do you ever get to see movies in advance of release that are drastically changed or never see the light of day? Mm. Uh, do you have any an- anecdotes about these strange or odd editions, cuts, or releases of films that you could share? Uh, thanks, as always. Keep up the good work. Alex, the Geeky Librarian. Uh, uh, P.S. Mm. Could you please... Hu- a uh, feature hoopla as a service from which to draw on a critically reclaimed oh, poll. Oh, that's I will make that a note. Thank yeah. you for that. We haven't we haven't done that one yet. Um, f- so regarding the question of because there there are going to be some exceptions to this rule, but in general, it's pretty rare for a movie to be screened officially for critics that isn't at least mostly done. Mm. I've seen the occasional film where the credits weren't done yet. And that was that's being done at like the last possible minute. Mm. Um, I saw. Um, I saw the remake of Overboard, yeah, uh, like a, like like two months before it came out, and it was the same movie, but the subtitles for people who were speaking Spanish mm. uh, 
they had lots of little flaws in them. And yeah. there's a couple of scenes where people were watching a TV, but the TV was like a green screen and they're going to add that later. Yeah, it like wasn't keyed yeah. in properly yet. So I ended up actually having to see that movie again just to make sure. they Because I knew they were going to change that. I want to make sure they didn't change anything else. They didn't. It was the same yeah. movie, but I have to do my due diligence. Um, I feel like there might have been an occasional... Oh, uh, the uh, movie Unfriended. Mm. Uh, which was a horror movie that took place entirely over like a Skype or a Zoom call, where uh, a bunch of people are stalked by a mysterious like guest in the chat mm. who is a supernatural presence and is going to kill them. Mm. I saw that at the South by Southwest Film Festival uh, just before it premiered, like came out like two months later, mm. and I really liked what I I really liked that movie. I think it's it's a gimmick film, but it had a point, and I thought it mostly worked and. I mean, it's not a classic or anything like that, but in terms of we had a neat gimmick and no one had really done this before, mm. we made the most out of it. Turns out they changed the ending. And I asked. Mm. I remember yeah. I was pissed off. I remember asking, like, hey, because I nothing about this is going to change from when I saw it two months ago in theaters there. And they're like, no. And then I saw people talking about the ending. I'm like, yeah, I really like that ending. And they're like, the ending sucked. <laughs> and then I was like, uh, oh shit! It does suck they, now, they and I was really mad it. because my my positive review would have been less positive with that ending. So that mm. kind of ticked me off. Um, yeah. Uh, when, so I guess the signals yeah. got crossed. I guess they didn't know. Yeah. When whatever, when they but. screen films for critics, mm. that's ostensibly the finished product. Yeah. Uh, you know the uh, overboard notwithstanding, mm-hmm. but uh, they don't usually recut it. I know you saw um, mm. uh, the Avengers. When it first came out, uh, before they had added like a little post credit stinger. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, the so... the post credit stinger of the original, uh, the Avengers, where they're eating um, um, shawarma, mm. uh, that had not been filmed. We saw the film, and then we did the press junket for it, and then they actually mentioned at the press junket, "Well, all of the actors are here in L.A. We're going to film one more scene." Okay, and that was the post credit scene, and they actually okay. filmed that at a uh, burger and shawarma place on Pico Boulevard. Oh, which cool. I think is still there, and it's really good. Um, it's, supposed, so, it's supposed to be New York in the movie. Yeah, yeah. but it's just the interior of a diner. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be anywhere. So you, you, they totally get away with it. Uh, but so yeah, that's that is actually an example mm-hmm. of one I didn't see. But it wasn't like a dramatic change. Yeah. Uh, the most dramatic change I could think of was when they changed the ending on me. That one kind of that one kind of yeah. sucked. Um, yeah. More common uh, if if you live uh, in Los Angeles, and they do this in most big cities or yeah. uh, around just around the country. Uh, there is a. Uh, you know, you can actually uh, enroll in uh, mm. test audience. Yeah, uh, people will stand outside of theaters with flyers. I'm not sure how common this the practice still is. I haven't really, seen but, I haven't um, seen this in a bit. Or, but then again, or if it's something you do online or with an app now. But, but you um, know, the the, the pandemic kind of killed all yeah, of that kind the, of thing. But yeah, but the the way it used to do they they used to do it is uh, yeah, a, a representative from mm. the company would stand out in front of a theater with a little flyer and saying, "Hey, how would you like to see a movie with your favorite movie star?" They wouldn't say the yeah. title. Yeah, Just, uh, here's, yeah, they never they never and say they the say, title. Here here's an invite to yeah. this mystery movie. Yeah, uh, come in and you know if you stay up. Yeah. And you just have to fill out a flyer afterwards and tell us what you thought of it. Yeah, and it's it's and, uh, it's a free movie, mm-hmm. and it was actually I, you, I learned really quickly to go. First off, what they do is they'd say we've got a new movie from the stars of the Shawshank Redemption and Legends of the Fall, and mm-hmm. it turns out it was seven, right. which is like kind of a misleading setup. Or they would maybe say, "Hey, did you like the movie Copycat? Well, if you like that movie, maybe you want to come check out this other serial killer thrill, mm-hmm. and it would be like the Bone Collector or something." So. That was what you did. But the cool thing was you get in line mm. and you're all waiting and it's basically they they, they give out more invites than they have. Yeah. Seats. So the room is full. 
and they let everyone in. And if you get in, you, you see the movie early. And, 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 and they, might... they make it explicit. It's first come, first serve. Yeah. If the line's too long, you just don't get in. You don't get in. It's How... free. Uh, sometimes yeah. they give you a free treat. Usually not. Usually usually not. Well, what they would do is if you're in, here's the, you get in line anyway. Because if you're in the line and you get in to see the movie, you get to see the movie early. Maybe it's an early cut. Maybe there's something that's different that will change later. But regardless, you see the movie you came to see. If you're towards the end of the line, let's say you don't want to see the movie. Mm. Let's say it's like it doesn't sound like it's up your alley at all. Get at the end of the line. And if you're at the end of the line and, oh, we didn't have any more room, here's a free ticket to see anything else in the theater. Yeah. yeah. That was the sweet spot. <laughs> so I, like, uh, the, the, I remember the time I went in to see, I, I had an advanced screening, I think, to see Ronan. Okay. Uh, you know, the John, John Frankenheimer, Frankenheimer film yeah. with uh, Robert De Niro and um, Jean Reno. Uh, and uh, I couldn't get in, but I was able to see the negotiator for free, and that was a cool day too. Uh, my my coolest version of that story is uh, I was handed a, a flyer and they're saying, "Hey, we we got a and like it really like sotto voce. It's oh like, shit, we, we we got a new cut of the movie Star Wars." We want you to come see it. Come, come to the Fox Lot. Oh, yeah. It's like it was really shady. Like it wasn't at that theater. It's like I had to go to the Fox Lot. And if you tell us what you think, we'll give you fifty bucks. Mm. And, and this was like nineteen ninety eight. So that's, so it's like, so that's, that's like a thousand dollars today. Uh, uh, yeah, it's like. <laughs> And, you know, it's, I, not I was, small, it's not a, it's not an insignificant amount of money. Yeah. No, like I, I was still in college at the time. It was yeah. like, yeah, like no, that, a, a big chunk of change I could yeah. put in my pocket. And uh, yeah, they just give you cash. And and so it's like, oh, okay, this is very mysterious. And I hadn't seen Star Wars before. So I, you I was hadn't like, seen Star Wars at all. Oh, no. By 98, I had seen Star Wars for the okay. first time. All right. Um, I was about to say, Jesus. I'm not saying that makes you a bad person. The, the I'm just surprised. Su- the summer after I graduated high school, I watched the Star Wars movies all for right, the first fine. time. But um uh, I'm not that old. I just didn't no, get around to them. No, that's fine. Uh, so I, I ended up doing it. It's like 50 bucks. This is all very mysterious. This feels very insider mm-hmm. to me. So I'm going to go there and see what it's all about. And I got there and there were like these like four other guys. And they're clearly like Star Wars nerds to the bone. These yeah. guys like they're wearing the Boba Fett hoodies and all the rest. <laughs> it's like, so you guys Star Wars fans? And they looked at me as if like, <laughs> like, <laughs> It's like I asked if they breathed oxygen. It's like it's like you walk into a library. Excuse me, do you have any books? Like that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan, and they uh, they said oh, they said you have to wait here because we're actually overflow. They have they filled the theater, uh, and they offered me a choice. I could wait mm-hmm. and get in to see the Star Wars movie and get the fifty bucks, or they could just give me the fifty bucks now and I could go. And I took the fuck fifty bucks and I left. I was like, Did well, you? Admit, was it the special editions? It was the trying? special editions. Oh they were, they were pre-screening the special trying editions. trying to see if it was a bad idea yeah. or not. Because um, that's what those screenings are. If you don't know yeah. why, if you don't know why they do that, mm. um, it, oftentimes, unless it's like a super duper secretive movie and they don't want anyone to see it, in which case they might make those screenings like really really small and in house. What you do is you make a movie and you you're close to it. You've seen it fifty thousand times in the editing room. You don't mm. really know you you know in your head it works, but maybe that joke isn't funny, or mm. maybe this scene is too long and it's just yeah. killing the pace. And you think it's great, but you're overly attached to it. So you show it yeah. to an audience so and the, the test screenings. And yeah. it's, it's actually very common, especially in comedies, for them to like sort of audio record the audience just to hear what gets a laugh and what doesn't. Mm. Oh, that joke doesn't get a laugh. Do we have an alternate take of that? Let's use that take. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, and they'll they'll even ask you on a flyer afterwards. Yeah. Which scenes did you like? Which characters mm-hmm. did you like? And they'll actually recut the film sometimes. based on those responses. Yeah, sometimes they will. Uh, yeah, sometimes no. they will. Sometimes yeah. they won't. Uh, yeah. Sometimes films test very, very well, and then they just flop when they hit the theaters. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, they test very, very badly, mm. like Seven, 
because that actual anecdote I said, where they mm. said from the stars of Legends of the Fall and yeah, Shawshank Redemption, that was actually how they got people these, into these kind of like maudlin dramas. Yeah, and they so got this like bleak serial killer. It movie. was not what they expected at mm. all. Pulp Fiction got legendarily bad uh, press mm. uh, advanced screening yeah. uh, the, uh, numbers. The one uh, I'm I'm happiest I was able to participate in was I was the test screening for Mystery Science Theater 2000, the movie. Oh, you because you uh, got to see deleted scenes. Because yeah, I got sure. to see the the original cut, which uh, was actually much much longer. They had they, uh, they cut a lot out of that movie, and I got to see man. all of that stuff. I the original conceit when they left the theater was it was the end of the reel, so you got to see end reel one, and that's mm. that's the reason they would leave. There was a whole crisis sequence where uh, the ship started to lose air, like that they punctured the hull. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, as as air is leaking out of the ship, Crow says, oh, <laughs> big deal. Who needs air? Yeah. And Mike leans in and says, I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Huh. And uh, Tom Servo, like, see, they see the button across the room, but Mike can't reach it because mm. it's like behind some rubble. So Tom Servo yells, I love you, Mike, and rockets through the air. He has a rocket under his right. skirt and pushes it with his head. That's fine. Uh, yeah. And the, the original ending was different. They ended up, like, sicking a mutant. On Dr. Forrester, and he ended up murdering Dr. Forrester. What are you doing? I don't understand. Yeah, uh, yeah, the original ending, uh, the ending that uh, they released in theaters, they're just sort of having a party. I saw the original ending. We'll we'll move on. Mm -hmm. I saw the original ending of, there's a really fun horror comedy called Idle Hands. (laughs) <laughs> starring Devin Sawa as a stoner who Devin. is you know that song Idle Hands of the Devil's Playground uh, turns out that's real and if you're too lazy the devil just takes control of your hand Uh-oh. and tries to kill people with it um, and it's really funny it's a funny funny movie but the ending scene of the movie the original ending sucked it was just this terrible, not very well explained thing about the school swimming pool turning into a portal to hell and having to climb. It didn't oh, really geez. work. So they we, and I was in the test screening audience, and we were, we were all like, "That ending doesn't work." Hmm. And then it turns out they reshot it, and they reshot it on the cheap. And you can tell because instead of having like the cool hand walking around effects, the rest of the movie does. Uh, it's now in a hand puppet. Yeah, yeah. But it's totally in keeping with the tone of the film, and the ending is much better. <laughs> it's a much better ending. So they, they, as I recall, they they got the severed demon hand high. Yeah, like they blew pot smoke on yeah. the the demon hand and yeah. got it high, and it, it lost. It, it couldn't yeah. concentrate anymore. Yeah, it's lost, funny. lost interest. It in makes being a more demon sense hand. than the ending that they originally yeah. had. It worked pretty great. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. and it, it is a fun film. It's been a while since. Yeah, I've it's seen that. It. that uh, it, yeah, see that movie you have. It's mm-hmm. cute. Uh, we should uh, move on. Yeah, we have a, a letter from uh, Alfonso. Hello, and, uh, Alfonso. and Alfonso's taking us to task for something. Oh, so, um, all right, what do we do now? Uh, or what, Whitney? What did you do now? Well, <laughs> me and you. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll all see. right, um, all right. What do we do? Well, th- this is about uh, sort of um, we we've mishandled some racial language, and I think. Um, oh no. Well, let, let, let me read the letter. Well, that's the uh, last says, thing we wanted to do, so yeah, please direct it says, us. It says, Dear Bibbs and Whitney, uh, please forgive me as I can't recall the exact episode, but on a recent critically reclaimed podcast, you rec- uh, commented on the casting of Anthony Hopkins in The Mask of Zorro, mm. lamenting that a white guy got the role instead of Hispanic. Again, I apologize if I'm slightly mis- misremembering the exact quote, but this has uh, not been the first time remembering something like this mentioned on uh, one of your many, many excellent shows, and I feel like this time I should finally write in. Mm-hmm. I would ask you first to remember that Hispanics are not a race. Mm-hmm. We are an ethnicity. And that white guy could be Hispanic. Agreed. Uh, the phrase, white guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a related but tangential note, as someone raised in South America, I can add to that we dislike the U.S. misuse of Latino, Latina, and Latinx to describe someone from a Spanish-speaking country or region. Latin Americans include 200 million Portuguese-speaking Brazilians, so we do not use the term Latin, unless you're specifically including Brazil. Uh, I do address U.S. Hispanic... 
I do address U.S. Hispanics as Latinx if they prefer, mm-hmm. but I ask a recipro- reciprocal courtesy not be uh, in not referring to non-U.S. Hispanics as Latinx. Okay. Um, there was a little bit of like editorial um, back and forth on the the term Latinx. Well, it's, it is a matter um, of preference. And for for example, yeah. my partner M. Lopez da Silva, who is of Brazilian uh, mm-hmm. heritage, they prefer Latinx. Okay. So um, I am going off of that. But I've, you're right. I've, not everyone I've, prefers I've, the same I've terminology. Heard different yes. terminology uh, yes. that some people do prefer La- Latino or Latina. Mm-hmm. Some uh, people prefer Latine with an e sure. uh, as a gender neutral term. Um, Latinx was being used by the Associated Press for like a week, and the, that kind of mm-hmm. spread around in a lot of uh, journalism. Well, circles. it also it also can refer to people who are gender fluid and non-binary, yeah, which is yeah. sometimes overlooked. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. um, please move on with the anyway, email. It is it's a form of cultural imperialism that really mm-hmm. sets us off. U.S. Hispanics dictating how we should be addressed, or even how our geographies should be named. For example, if you take even a cursor glance at a world globe, you'll may notice there is no such thing as Central America. Mm-hmm. It is a bigoted misnomer designed to refuse Hispanic countries' admission into Anglo-North America. Mm -hmm. This has become so pervasive, however, that many Hispanic countries use the term themselves. Uh, Going back to the term Hispanic, uh, to those of... uh, those of us not from the U.S., this refers, uh, refers only to peoples descended from or conquered by Spain. Right. Uh, when referring to regions and nations, say either Hispano-Americano or Latino-Americano or sometimes Ibero-Americano, depending on the context. Finally, let's not get started on Spanish being misused to refer to Castilian. We don't speak Spanish, Espanol. We speak Castilian, Castellano. Uh, throughout the Americas, as opposed to Catalan, Valencian, Gal- Galician, Basque, or other Spanish language mm. uh, languages. Sorry, guys, I get riled up over trivial stuff sometimes. I don't think it's trivial at all. No, I mean, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that last one sounded like, and another thing. I do appreciate that you're trying to be sensitive to other country, uh, other cultures. An important element is that of that is to understand that other cultures are themselves not necessarily homogenous. We Hispanics yes. are white and brown and black and all colors and creeds. My own ancestry is 5% African, 5% English-Irish, 15% uh, um, Amerindian, hmm. 70% Iberian, and the rest is a mix of this and that. Uh, wow. My light skin and blue eyes make me, quote, pass in Anglo-American culture, and I often uh, get weird reactions from both Anglo and Hispanic Americans. This U.S.-centric perspective from Hispanic Americans is one reason why, in many countries, uh, we often consider Hispanic Americans to be Americans first, Hispanics second. Hmm. Bolivia has a long history of being kicked around and trampled on by the U.S., and many of the boot-wielders' names sound just like ours. For example, U.S. intelligence operative Felix Rodriguez, who aided the team that murdered Che Guevara in Bolivia. Right. Uh, Sorry, there I go again being carried away. Hmm. I'm not blaming you for U.S. imperialism, whether military or culturalism. Uh, You are, in fact, two of my favorite people, and I listen to and I appreciate your openness to diverse perspectives. Although the movies you're discussing are generally American, please, in future, remember that the term Latinx, American perspective and experience, represents less than 10% of all Hispanics in the Americas. Finally, throughout this greed, I know I've fallen prey to overgeneralizations, including such things as using words like Anglo to refer to whites or others that are genetically or culturally descended from non-Spanish Caucasian European countries. And even though uh, 
And even there, you see the difficulties in generalizing cultures. Yeah. Is Bibbs white? A hundred years ago, a person of primarily Italian descent mm-hmm. uh, would not have been so considered. Whitney, your German roots might have excluded you from the U.S. mainstream in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Getting too hung up on these terms can make discourse nearly impossible, but each of us has our own buttons, and this is one of mine. So let me thank you for your time and patience with this rather long-winded and rambling letter, as well as providing me with countless hours of desperately needed distraction from my stress of running a healthcare organization in the middle oh, of wow. COVID, wow. and more so in the middle of Texas in the middle of COVID. Wow. Your hopefully still friend, Alfonso from Cochabamba, followed by Chicago and now Lubbock. Uh, Alfonso, thank mm. you so much for that letter. And and, and this yeah. this was actually uh, re uh, like boosted after we had set uh, we, we made, made another gaffe. Yeah. So I wanted to okay. go back. And I'm read really it. really glad you wrote in. Mm. Thank you so much for that. And this is like, I know that there are a lot of different people who have very particular uh, uh, views on what terminology accurately represents them or that they prefer to represent them and their culture and and do not. And there's even some disagreement. Mm-hmm. within communities uh i know that very well um mm-hmm. but uh we're all trying to do the best we can here and every single time you send in an email like this that mm-hmm. can illuminate some of the yeah. details and some of the some of the uh Im- important distinctions we benefit from that now again no, as uh, i said we, i'm we married do, to someone yeah. who considers themselves latinx if i am maybe uh too uh, a cavalier with that mm-hmm. word if I use it maybe inappropriately thank you for calling me out on that yeah. I do um, not mean to but I am going by someone uh, who yeah, and I live with when, when I throw around a term white guy to describe somebody like Anthony yeah. Hopkins uh, yeah. I am referring to uh, he, he's a Welsh actor uh, right. so I'm referring to uh, a ca- well, Caucasian of European descent I'm not entirely uh, sure when we brought it up specifically or that, that is of like central European descent I, the thing that I have noticed uh, uh, being discussed a lot when we sort of look back at the Mask of Zorro and in many respects mm-hmm. The Mask of Zorro is one of the best action movies of the 1990s. It's funny, romantic, adventurous. Mm. The stunts are fantastic. It's one of the last mainstream Hollywood films with legitimately great sword fights. Um, It's a really, really good film in a lot of ways. But one of the things that I see people uh, talking about and sort of reevaluating is, yes, some people have issue with Anthony Hopkins playing the younger or the original Zorro, which... Again, yeah, he's Spanish. His character is Spanish. Mm. There are definitely Spanish people who are of more, uh, who look more like Anthony Hopkins. Mm. The issue that I see a lot of people talking about is that Antonio Banderas, who is also Spanish, Mm. is playing a character who is uh, a Mexican Mm. and not brought over and, and, and started a family here, but is actually like of that particular descent. And as a result, that comes across as some form of uh, as a form of cultural appropriation yeah as though he's as if Antonio Banderas is indistinguishable um, and I think that's where the critiques tend to come from I don't think those are unreasonable critiques mm. it does injure the movie a well, bit for me mm. but it's in many respects it's still a good film yeah. but it has this like asterisk next to it where it's just like yeah maybe Antonio Banderas wasn't the best yeah, cast was... ever even though he is of course very charming in the role I, I, I remember um somebody writing into Roger Ebert and this was a while ago. So Mm -hmm. like a lot of language and standards have changed since then. But uh, they asked uh, Roger Ebert if he had any problems with uh, Al Pacino, Mm. who is uh, an American actor of Italian descent um, uh, playing a a Scarface. I think it was Cuban in that. A Cuban character. And uh, Roger Ebert had a, a, a pretty blunt uh, but I, I guess he considered diplomatic answer where he says that's the magic of acting. Mm. 
Mm. Anybody can play somebody from anybody, anywhere. And when you start splitting hairs on a lot of sort of these distinctions that we're talking mm-hmm. about, uh, then the movie's not going to get made. And there's that's a little bit of a mercenary attitude. I, I don't think. like that attitude. I yeah, think that because uh, because that ignores that that might be sort of the art the art craft yeah. of acting, but it ignores the practicalities, which is essentially well, functionally Al Pacino took a role that was written for someone of Cuban descent, someone who otherwise well, it, might not necessarily yeah. get a main, major role in a mainstream movie. And oh, but they gave it to someone who specifically isn't that descent, hmm. even though for once the role was yeah, written and, specifically well, and, and, for someone to get that part, yeah, and, and th- that kind of sucks. Then, then you get into this this weird argument uh, about representation. Yeah. Uh, is is it? It would be good if uh, a Cuban actor who isn't getting a lot of work and yeah. you know takes this high profile role taken away from them. Uh, that it, it's not good for actorly representation because yeah. a Cuban actor is not getting work. Yeah, exactly. But uh, how many Cuban characters are we seeing in these? And a lot of people say that's positive Cuban representation because even though that's not a Cuban actor, we're at least getting a Cuban character in the popular consciousness. Mm. And, and and many cases uh, like so, this, some of the supporting cast yeah. members are, uh, like for example, um, I interviewed um, Steve Knight, mm. uh, who directed Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, which is a movie that takes place in Japan, hmm. but the main characters are almost exclusively played by people like right. Charlie Theron yeah. and uh, Caucasian and, actors, and Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. And, yeah. and I asked him about this, and I was, and I said, like, you know, so hmm. yeah, this movie takes place in Japan, and we've got all of these yeah, American, yeah, an, an like, American actor, white American, is, uh, South, South African, African yeah. yeah, we have all these people who aren't Japanese in all these major roles. Um, I don't have his quote in front of me. I remember not being particularly enthused by it, but he did point out that. Ed, at the very least, most of the supporting cast mm. was m- people from Japan, mm. and that there were sort of you know decisions mm. made about who could open a movie and who maybe would have been best for the role, etc. I don't agree with all that crap, but other people were cast yeah. was the other argument. I, but I don't think either of those are the best arguments. No, and uh, I think those are. I think that's mm. trying to find an excuse for the way things are. Yeah, yeah. The the thing about the the Roger Ebert quote is that yeah. it, it allows for that mercenary attitude allows for discrimination. Exactly. Uh, and it, okay, sure. Is is Al Pacino a good enough actor that he could convincingly play a Cuban? Sure. Actually, no. I've seen oh, Scarface. Well. He's not that convincing. He's uh, I mean, wildly over the top. I, I I love his performance in that movie because it's a wild, it's a De Palma movie. Everything like they're chainsawing people in that movie. He's doing buckets of cocaine. Yeah. It's an over the top movie. Uh, I, I never once I never once not, think he's actually Cuban in that film. No, he's no, Al Pacino I got, I suppose doing the part. He's not, not even human in that movie. Um, uh, anyway, I forgot what I was getting at here. You're saying you're yes. saying that you're saying that the attitude that mm. actors can play anything is a license for discrimination. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like um, there there is a, a cry now for a lot more uh, authenticity. Yes, uh, if if you're going to have a, a queer character, mm. cast a queer actor. Yeah, if you're going to have a, a trans character, cast a trans actor. Yeah, um, there's a there's a bit of uproar when. Uh, um, Scarlett Johansson was oh, yeah. cast, I think, as a trans man in uh, an upcoming pro- yeah. project. And, and um, she'd already had some problems after uh, starring in Ghost, in, Ghost the in the Shell. And now, I'm not going to put any of this on uh, Scarlett Johansson. She's an actor. She just wants to challenge herself. Uh, so you want to play this? Yes, I want to play whatever role you throw at me because I want to challenge myself as a performer. I don't think she's uh, but, entire, she, but she's big enough that she can pick and choose. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like that's the thing. She can choose. She can say to herself... Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's, well, that she, would be she might say to herself. Be... She might say to herself, "I'd rather do that than you know, Black Widow for the thirteenth time." Well, I can appreciate that, uh, but yeah. I also think that there there comes a time when you're big enough to say no, and your yeah. career will be fine, <laughs> right. and find another interesting role mm. because there's got to be something out I, there. I, I am going to put that on the casting directors, sure. and the filmmakers, and the producers who yes. thought it was. Uh, Totally, totally legitimate yeah. to approach Scarlett Johansson yeah. with that role. Yeah, Scarlett Johansson. She's. Let's, and, and, and let's it's not, not, even, let's and not it's pretend not even... that actors are all like these. Yeah. Gigantically culturally sensitive. No, they're all they're uh, human beings. Unilaterally intelligent class of people. They're human beings, and they're making uh, business decisions yeah. and career decisions, and they have a lot of people whispering in their ears, telling them what's a good idea and what's not, and maybe those people are wrong. And look, there. I'm not saying everyone's infallible, but everyone is also capable of admitting when they fucked up. Mm. And so, yeah. yeah. No. So, so, listen, when, so yeah, what, what I'll say this, just yeah, a segue, it, we may have fucked up no, we, about the terminology. We apologize yeah, we, we for have, that. We and we'll, have, we'll, and, um, keep, we'll, we'll do our best. Yeah, the, I promise the, and you that. This, this was, you know, not yeah. based on any kind of, you know, stringent research this was yeah. was us sort of just kind speaking of speaking off the cuff and we off, did so yeah, wrong just sort of off the cuff kind if of language and yeah I, for, for that i i definitely yeah. apologize yeah. um i've i've written uh incorrect terms and reviews before because yeah. i was assuming i was using the correct language and, yeah. but it was not we and, need to uh, we need to constantly kind of, reinterrogate these things yeah, yeah. so yeah the, these kinds of uh you Bringing these sort of like little slip ups to our attention. I don't think are, well, are incredibly important. Little might be the wrong word. Okay, because, I'm sorry, I apologize. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, brief slip ups. Brief slip ups, but, but not but of significant import. Yeah, um, didn't so, mean to yeah. say they were insignificant. No, 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 no. Because no. they, that... they can happen very quickly without yeah. you realizing it. So, thank you for mm-hmm. taking us to task. We mm-hmm. will endeavor to do better. Um, I've, it's, I've, if I've we been, screw up again, please let us know. What I've been yeah. endeavoring to do, and this is something I've, I need to push myself harder on, is mm-hmm. when I'm referring to. Uh, a a character's uh, background or culture or ethnicity, I try to go for their country of origin, mm. like where they were born or perhaps where they were raised. Any you know, more yeah. so than any kind of racial profile, mm. uh, just because I think that's a lot more accurate language for one, yeah. and uh, it's just going to be. Uh, uh, far less fraught in profiling people. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's you want to you want to be descriptive, to, um, but you don't want to you don't want to generalize. You don't want to essentialize. That's even worse. Yeah. Um, listen, it's it can be a little tricky, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just easy. You can do the right thing, and sometimes we whiff it. Sometimes terminologies um, adjust over time, uh, and uh, we need to constantly stay on our on the ball. So, thank you so much for taking us to task. Thank you for writing in that letter. That meant a lot to us. And again, we will endeavor not to make those mistakes in the future to the best of our ability. Mm. Let's move on. Let's move on. Here's a letter from J-Lo. Oh, hi, J-Lo. Good J-Lo, to see you for J-Lo, not that one. Uh, yes, I yeah, well, we, we have a fan named J-Lo, not Jenny from the block. Um, yes. Greetings, gents. Uh, nothing quite lets the air out of the Iron List episodes like discussing a number one movie for when it comes up on the other's list. I know. Uh, for the murder Whitney mysteries. always does this. <laughs> Why do you take I, the film for, that you... Th- okay, well, I'll let... I'll right. uh, I.e., uh, Murder Mysteries, Bibbs number one is the second movie that Whitney brought up. <laughs> uh, John Roca and Matt Nost. Mm. Uh, those are Schmodown figures. Yeah, and they're also uh, podcasters, and John Roca has a YouTube channel. And oh, yeah. Matt Nost has that game show where we've been on, Settle the Score, where you try to mm. guess movie scores oh, well, based on clues. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, they've done an excellent job of saving the suspense for number ones on their show, and I hope you can do a similar thing for your list mm-hmm. episodes. We don't consult each other on our list. Well, let's, 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 we we'll should. have the conversation after the email's yeah. over. Maybe next time it comes up, simply say, save it for later, and circle back around when you get to the last two. Mm-hmm. 
best J-Lo, not that one. Okay, so uh, the the letter in question is referred to our monthly podcast called The Iron List. Every month on The Iron List, we ask our patrons over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network to help us whittle down a topic. Mm. We come up with a big old top ten list topic. Whitney comes up with his top ten list. I come up with my top ten list. We try not to discuss it in advance, and then we share it together. Mm. There's usually not a lot of overlap. Sometimes there is. The only way our lists work is we don't tend to cons- to worry ourselves about rankings. Uh, our number four isn't more recommended than our number five. It's a top ten. They're all recommended. Yeah. But we do try to reserve our number one spot for the movie that if we, you know, we had a gun to our heads, what's the best murder mystery thriller ever, mm. we would say this film. And in the most recent Iron List, that's happened a few times before. Um I my number one film for that Iron List uh, was Murder on the Orient Express, directed by Sidney Lumet. The Kenneth Branagh version is fine; the Lumet version is incredible. Mm. Whitney also had that on his list, but he like brought it up second. <laughs> mm. And you mentioned even if memory serves when I said, "Oh, that was my number one," and you kind of said like I thought it might be, and I'm like, "Then why are you picking it now? Why not wait for that? Why not maybe the more obvious ones that are more likely to come up at the top save?" But that is the fun of the Iron List for Whitney, for specifically Whitney, for no one else. This is only, this amuses him and no one else. And it always ticks me off. Um, regarding well, th- that. There's, there's uh, this weird uh, tendency for, uh-huh. for critics and others uh-huh. and people who are just sort of discussing films in general mm-hmm. to um, canonize specific movies. And yes. hold them in high esteem, the popularly good ones. Agreed. Uh, when when that doesn't uh, when mean they're like all a, bad. It's like what's what's the best uh, you know the best horror movie of the 1980s? People will probably jump straight to like The Shining, and that's going to mm. be near the top of most people's list. Yeah, The Shining, good, The Thing, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, The Fly, the, the, those kinds of movies. Yeah, you're probably going to run into one or one, or, yeah. one of those eventually. Yeah. Why do I got to talk about those movies? You don't have to talk about those yeah. movies, but you chose to anyway. Mm. And you just decided to like, and it's a film you, I believe you knew I liked, no. and you decided to just throw it in there right at the beginning. No, granted, because, we could, we could, uh, we could. I'm, let me I'm, ask you I'm reworking it to my own idiom. Let, let me that's ask, let that's me all I need to consider. Let me ask. Let me, that's fair. And let me ask you this question: uh-huh. We never discuss these things in advance. Uh-huh. Do you think in the future mm. we should, at the very least, mention our number one right before we record, so we can save it for the end? Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What, okay. what do you think, listeners? Do you do you like us? Uh, do you like the extemporaneous uh, quality, or do you think we should uh, not like early on, but like literally just before we record? By the way, Burning Door Express is my number one. If it's on your list, save it for later. Yeah, you, I, I, I think there, that's probably I, okay. It, sa- it saves us the surprise. Like we don't get the surprise of finding uh-huh. out what our number ones are, which isn't a big deal, I guess. It's not really for us. It's for the listeners. Uh-huh. But that's what we would lose. All right. That's kind of all yeah. we would lose, really. Um, so yeah. let us know. Let us know if you change it. I couldn't have predicted that your number one would be specifically Murder on the Orient Express. But you knew, I, you, you, but you knew I liked it. You said you thought it was going to be on my list. I, I suspected. Okay. No idea it was going to be your favorite. All right. <laughs> you can't put this on me. <laughs> sure, I can. I am right maybe, now. Maybe I should put it on you for not uh, not shaking up your list a little bit more interestingly. It's not about sh- it's not about being interesting. It's about being true to your heart. <laughs> And oftentimes my picks well, are you, weird, you, but maybe. Well, it's oftentimes the picks are weird, but sometimes mm. a movie that is established as great, that is canonized, mm. actually is that good. It doesn't happen all the time. There's quite a few films that are in the established canon in a variety of genres 
that I would say to myself, that's not number one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Vertigo is up there. Take Vertigo down. The movie's not that good. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that one actually is one of the films that is canonized that actually deserves it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise just to be fun. I'm going to tell you what I think, and I think it's All the right. best murder mystery movie ever. Please see it. Okay. Moving on. I agree. Please see it. I did recommend it. it was you on did. It was, list. List. it was on your list. We're just talk- what we're talking about here more than anything is a point of order. <laughs> and I can tell you right now from like putting up challenges in the Schmodown, point of order, the least fun objections. It's not a fun conversation to have. No one is having a good time. We're all just looking at the minutia in the rule book. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna take that suggestion and we will consider it in the future. Right. There you go. That, that's what we'll say. According to this, a dog can't play basketball. That is uh, not in the rule book. <laughs> I made sure when I wrote the rule book for the movie trivia schmodown, I made sure there was no rule yeah. that said a dog can't play the schmodown. You know, I stand by that. They've they've rewritten those rules. They have since not then, actually. Yeah. I know for a fact about basketball. It's that's nope. completely changed. <laughs> there actually is a rule. Yeah, they they actually like include this big long list of like members of the animal kingdom that are not allowed to play basketballs. Shut up. Uh, That's not a thing. The pangolin has not yet been included. Ooh, (laughs) air pangolin. So make air pangolin. You're making that up. Of course, I'm making that up. Oh, I don't know. You're so stone faced. (laughs) For a second, I was just like, maybe they are. They are. They are weird. I remember I watched that movie Turbo. You ever see that movie Turbo about the racing snail? Oh, the snail, snail? yeah. It's about a snail who wants to who wants to be a NASCAR. Join NASCAR, yeah. yeah. not drive a car, just be a snail on the track. And I'm like, you're going to get run over. Oh. How are people in the stands going to see you? Like, yeah, it's that, a flawed yeah. concept to begin with. The, the snail was already a racing fan, gets yeah. sucked into, like, a, a nit- nitro engine Something of some like kind. That, yeah. And, like, gate gets, like, super speed powers. Yeah. But, like, there's a whole bit... Where they actually have to do that thing. There's no rule that says a snail can't yeah. be in the NASCAR. And I'm like, check the rules. I'm pretty sure he does need a car. Yeah, it just races on <laughs> I'm the I'm pretty track. sure you can't just have a foot racer. I'm pretty sure there are rules about needing a car in yeah. order to be in NASCAR. I'm pretty sure that's at least implicit in many of the rules. And you could eliminate the snail that way if you so wanted. That's a badly written film. We're going to move on. Let's see if we have time for one or two more. Right, here's a letter from Zach. Uh, Zach says, howdy, friends. Hi. Uh, thank you for all of the Christmas rom-com recommendations. Huh. I snagged a copy of The Palm Beach Story. Yes. And wow, what a weird, unique comedy. Uh, this probably speaks to my ignorance of older cinema, but it felt very modern with its mm. tongue-in-cheek rom-com plot, contrivances, and how jaded towards love the film was. I still find myself laughing about the marriage scene at the end. My mom and I <laughs> both enjoyed it very much. The tradition lives on. Uh... Oh, a lot of romantic comedies from the 1930s were very, very... Palm Beach Stories 40s, I yeah. know, but uh, they're just incredibly bitter about human relationships. Yeah. Watch Ernst Lubitsch movies anytime. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're, they're people, really, people, really sarcastic. People think that all those movies are, like, really stuffy Man- and conservative yeah. and, like, no. They are horny and they are completely mm. okay with, especially, like, the pre-code ones, with, like, breaking all the rules and many of the rules hadn't been properly mm. established yet and oftentimes they're ready to break Break them already. Palm Beach mm. Story breaks all the rules. The ending that they're talking about, which I will not ruin for you, is basically the fuck you ending of rom-coms. <laughs> it's a great fuck you ending. Where it's it basically is... like, ah, whatever, fuck it. Let's end this movie in the most contrived possible way in the last two seconds. And it will be fine. Uh, one of my favorite um, Esther Rogers musicals is yeah. Top Hat. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a scene in Top Hat where um, two men kiss and a woman in the room just says, keep going, boys. Don't mind me. Right? Uh, you know, little, little cute jokes like that. There's a, a bit where uh, it's a mistaken idea identity plot yeah where um ginger rogers is asked to dance with fred astaire and she thinks that the woman she was with is is his wife mm. just because of the mistaken identity something like that and <laughs> she, movie's very elaborate but she she thinks that uh, she's trying to s- set ginger rogers up with uh, 
uh, Fred Astaire, and they're dancing together. And she keeps like looking back at her friend, like thinking she's dancing with her husband. Mm-hmm. And she's like, she's like gesturing, yeah, get closer, kiss him a little bit, kiss him a little bit. And and she asks Fred Astaire, "You guys are okay with this?" "Yeah, absolutely. I love dancing with you." And she just sort of says, "Well, if she's okay with it, I am." Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's this whole like open, ma- open marriage thing going on in that movie. A lot of the There's earlier, a, yeah, a lot of a lot of the earlier rom coms are doing stuff that you couldn't do today. Yeah, people would say that it was like un- inappropriate. Mm. Great, but there's more to the letter, or is that there's that the whole uh, there, There's a little bit more. Okay. Um, now for a question about podcasting. Hmm. Uh, how do you feel uh, your show and yourselves at podcasters has improved over the years? And looking back, hmm. what advice would you give to yourselves starting out? Uh, sincerely, Zach. That's a good question because uh, we've been podcasting for a long time. A lot of our podcasts are now vanished from the internet, and hmm. so I would say with good cause. A lot of our early stuff was we, you know, we didn't. Uh, well, we were we, we, we were working with basically the tech. Like our first few podcasts we ever recorded were with a rock band microphone, like literally from the game Rock Band. <laughs> like we didn't know what we were doing. We were using just whatever tech we could find. Well, and, we were you know, uh, we were a lot younger. We we, yeah. we started podcasting together in 2011. Yeah, and uh, we were in our late 20s, early 30s, respectively, and we were sort of being caught up in this a wave of young male internet pundits that mm-hmm. were getting a lot of traction by being uh, outraged a lot. Yeah, uh, so you know, we were trying sort to Sort of be... a, lot of, a lot of whinging and a lot of cussing. Yeah. And, you know, sort of like this stand-up comedian kind of vibe. Yeah, we were trying to... Uh, we were trying so to... We, we were playing into that, I yeah. think. Uh, you we know, should just, never just have tried. Sort of, well, just sort of... Ex- <laughs> that was just the, the yeah. texture of the well, time. Well, we were, we trying we to were catch asked to do. Like, yeah. could, you, could you please, uh, you know, sort of... You know, play up play, the, play, play up the bit, contrarianism. Yeah. Make don't don't make it seem like this is on Turner Classic Movies. Mm. I believe is one of the specific notes, and um, that's it, not it, us. It, no, we, we, we were... I I have a potty mouth sometimes, and and maybe oh, we, I, I'd be I better off a, without it. But make a blue joke here and there, but yeah, yeah. that wasn't like our brand. No, I, I guess we we were I think a little too too concerned with our brand. Yeah. Because we were trying to fit in with sort of the, the te- yeah. like I said, the texture of what was going on at the time. And the texture of what was going on at the time mostly sucked. So I'm glad yeah, we, we moved on from that yeah. pretty quick, and I'm glad we and there, did. And there's a lot of critics yeah. out there um, who are still sort of writing that shtick. They're using yeah. criticism as sort of a platform for shtick yeah. rather than a platform to actually criticize. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a fine way to do comedy. Sure, if you're uh, and I'm, something I'm like Honest Trailers, of, for example, yeah, is yeah. pure shtick. Yeah, honest like, trailers. If they make shtick. a point, um, it's an accident half the time. I, I, like they're just mostly uh, just doing shtick. I recently discovered a comedian. Um, I think his name is like Jeff Jones. He's um, uh, he does a, a series called um, Pitch Meeting. Oh yeah, uh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on, I forget his name. Uh, I'll look it up. But yeah, I like Pitch Meeting. Yeah, Pitch, Pitch and fun. and he plays. Uh, it's just a one man show. He plays both a screenwriter and an executive, and. Um, uh, he he's essentially trying to sort of backward engineer what a pitch meeting. Was. Ryan George. Ryan George. Uh, uh, how you got that there? Right. They uh, they sort of backward engineered a, a pitch meeting from a finished film mm-hmm. and uh, all of the sort of like weird decisions that must have gone into making it. And he sort of goes back to it was all the screenwriter's idea and sort of. The joke is, this is all just a product. The executive doesn't really care what's going into the movie, and neither does the screenwriter. So mm-hmm. they're just sort of like joking, banding about these odd things. Well, the idea is that all film. of the things that make the movie not work were things that at one point people were enthusiastic about. Yeah. Like it that's, seemed that's, like a good part, idea yeah. at the time. And mm-hmm. when you sort of reverse engineer, because mm. every decision was made and every decision was run past people at a studio. So if you take every decision that seems kind of baffling about a movie mm. and reverse engineer it to when was this first pitched? 
Like, when would someone say, hey, what if we... What if we put, made it... What if we put nipples on the bat suit? Like, well, yeah. someone has to think that was a good idea once. Yeah. Then they had to pitch that, and they had someone to get someone excited about it. Or, that's or a great a, idea. You know, for, for if you're really yeah. familiar with the movie, they'll, he'll make a joke yeah. about sort of like a de- an odd detail that audiences noticed. Yeah, like, or like some like actual like history bit that people don't always know. Yeah, like, yeah, they, um, like some of the Matrix stuff he did. He actually yeah, talked about early fun. drafts of the screenplay where the plot made more sense than basically right. what we have. <laughs> the idea of like the original... Uh, yeah. Originally, the Matrix wasn't supposed to be human beings or batteries because we're terrible batteries it makes no sense and we were actually supposed to be part of a neural network because our brains were so complicated uh, that's a better that's a better idea and the studio thought that audiences in the 90s wouldn't get that so they had to switch it to batteries nah. What else? Uh, anyway, yeah. I like, like like that for a, a while. For a while there, I was following uh, one of these guys. His name is Doug Walker. He sold himself oh, yeah. as the nostalgia critic, and yeah. he he quickly built up this huge empire and then completely mismanaged it and treated yeah. a lot of his employees very like he, yeah. he and a lot of the people he worked with were treating oh. employees badly, and it kind of all dissipated. But he's I, still doing his shtick. He's still doing his shtick, and I have a much, I, small, much smaller team. Yeah. He can manage it a lot better. I'm he's not, actually a lot more comfortable now. But well, I don't. I don't. I again, I don't like the way that he treated the people under his. Hmm. Auspice, but I also found that he was making just a lot of shitty straw man arguments a lot of the time, and I just stopped being well, interested it, the, in the, the, what the he cri- had to say. The criticism w- was like. A, a quaternary concern but there was always uh, like the end of the video was him being proven right about something really really insightful and half the time he was like making inaccurate observations but was literally in the text yeah and so it drove me up the fucking wall yeah like like the actual yeah. criticism part would yeah it would be like this 30 yeah. second segment right at the and end then of and then we're not gonna get into it because because it, it's a whole thing but then just look up all the controversy about what happened about, to channel yeah, awesome, channel awesome there's uh, a million other reasons not to watch a stick anymore but mm. um yeah uh, so in, in any case, but, back back but, to the point. Uh, back to the point. When that, that, initially, that was, we were we were told what kind of podcast to be, I, 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 and we I didn't bring, want to do that. I brought them up because that was that was sort of like the the landscape that we were let loose yeah. into, and that was yeah. sort of a little bit of what we were trying to capture. And it was never us. Uh, it, well, it, it wasn't us, and we weren't very good at it. No. More, more importantly, and um, we were trying to sort of fit in the things that interested us anyway. Yeah, a lot of what we were doing in the early days, we were required to read news stories and Ugh. like. J- covering showbiz news like when you're writing it that's one thing yeah but when you're like just sort of responding to it it's yeah. like okay that's just news what do i say there, about that yeah you have you have to, and what would happen is we would usually take it and like send it off into uh what what what's okay so okay so this person has been cast in this movie great we haven't seen that movie we don't know if it's good or not we don't know if they're good for the role so let this gives us an opportunity to rant for three minutes about that person's interesting acting career yeah, which we is something we would like to talk about mm-hmm. that kind of thing. We eventually realized that no one was paying attention to us over there. We could do whatever we wanted, nah. so we started doing that, and that made the show better. Because ultimately, what advice I would give to mm-hmm. myself and any uh, podcaster really uh, is: don't try to chase a trend. Talk about something that interests you, and uh, invite people into your world. Yeah, that's that's one of the best things we we did was when we started um, getting at reading letters. From people like actually like, hey, what do you like this when we talk about what questions do you want to know about from the industry or that we can actually help with? How can we recommend better movies to you? Um, so which is one of the reasons why we do this podcast right now is because this actually really opened up our show and let us know what our particular listeners mm-hmm. think is distinct about what we do. Yeah, we recently in this in this exact episode, we had people talk about how we recommended a couple of films and now they're watching Hungarian cinema. Hmm. I, I don't hear that from a lot of other podcasts. So that means a lot to me. Hmm. So yeah, basically talk about what interests you. Don't let other people tell you how to do your hmm. podcast. 
You will find your voice after a while. You will fix technical hiccups as you get good enough to start noticing what's wrong. Yeah. Like all, but like the first. 50 episodes of our show, the gain was off. Like, it was just, it was just, I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, man. Like, I didn't, and I got better. And I still think there are things I could do to make the show even better. But this is, at the very least, a pretty decently produced show now. And I'm proud of that. But that took a lot of time to figure out what works for us. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's the best I could do. Talk about something that excites you. Invite other people into your world. Don't let other people dictate how you should handle your show. And, oh, and uh, don't be dicks. Yeah, don't don't be don't, don't be dicks. Be dicks. It's, be... It doesn't help anything. I don't care if you think it's funny. It's not. If you yeah, have if you have a legitimate thing to criticize, criticize it. Try not to be a dick. There's there are certain comedians whose shtick is being a bit of a dick. Yeah, it's like Conan O'Brien's thing. It's like it's just insensitivity hits people. He's always a somewhat unconvincing dick. Though. Well, that, like, that's, that's the, the beauty thing. of Conan. That, that's yeah. that's why he can get away with it. Yeah. He's sort of actually this like like awkward gangly guy who yeah. acts like a dick and like he's like clearly acting outside of his character. Mm-hmm. And that's actually kind of a very careful line that only he can do. Cause he invented that. Right. Um, you can't just do it. <laughs> you, yeah. you have to have sort of a, a talent for it or a persona that you need to work on. Yeah. I feel the same way about Steve Martin. A lot of his jokes are about being kind yeah. of insensitive, but he's also very like, clearly in on the joke. He's in on the joke. And he's also just like, like as a, a friendliness is coming through. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's actually kind of a good natured ribbing yeah. quality to what he's doing. It's difficult to just sort of be a dick as your shtick. Yeah. It's, it's, it, you have to, it's the difference between Steve Martin and someone like Andrew Dice Clay. You have to actually know how not to be a dick in order to be a dick and for it to be mm-hmm. kind of funny. But even then, I don't think you can lean on it for very long without it getting really old real fast. Yeah. So anyway, um, that is it for, for we've got mail this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for, uh, some really deep letters this yeah. week. That means a lot to us. Thank you so much. It's always interesting to hear about what you want to talk about. Um, if you would like to write into a future episode of our show, our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net. If you would prefer to send something in snail mail, uh, mm. as like the movie turbo, uh, Whitney, what is our snail mail? Uh, s- send it to, to, to turbo parentheses, the snail, uh, PO box six, four, one, five, six, five, Los Angeles, California, nine, double oh, six, four. Whitney lost a little bit. Six, four, one, six, four, six, four, one, five, six, five, Los Angeles, California. Got it. Just to be clear. Um, and of course we're on Twitter at critic acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and, uh, we have other stuff. Patreon. Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows over there. We have an Etsy store where uh, my partner, Evan Lopez da Silva, and I, we sell soaps. We design soaps. We sell soaps. We have uh, new designs every single month. Sometimes surprise soaps in between. Uh, head on over to Salt Cat Soap on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You'll get links to the store, or you can just look for Salt Cat Soap, all one word, at Etsy. And you can find a whole lot of soaps uh, for a variety of different kinds, great for gifts, great for just soaping it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that too. Anyway, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Mm-hmm.